Hi, I'm Leila, and welcome to my podcast on lifting the fog and anal cancer. So here I am with Shirley Norris today. Really happy to meet you. We're meeting today for the first time. Um, what brought us together is really something that we share, that we both had cancer. Me on one end, the anal cancer. You on the other end, the um, bladder cancer. Um, and I think that the second piece we have in common is really that we want to share information and actually to to help other people or to educate other people or give them bits and pieces yeah, and information that might just be helpful. How are you? I'm very well today, thank you. Uh, it's lovely to speak to you. Um, I think the type of cancers that you and I have got can sort of be uh, perceived as a dirty cancer. You know, breast is all pink and fluffy and beautiful and we'll all go on little walks around the park and wear our pink ribbons. You know, what do I wear for bladder cancer? You know, uh, a pea orange colour? No one wants to know. You know, anal cancer? You know, oh, wow. Lots of people don't even know that that exists. Yes. Um, especially, I think, women with these sorts of cancers, bladder, anal... Uh, etc can be overlooked because they're perceived in the past to either not affect women or to be an old man's disease and in fact neither are true anyone can get any of these cancers at any age and I mean a lot younger than I you know so I think that's something that we always need to be mindful of I never ever used to think of cancer when I had a problem um, it was the last thing on my mind. Now it's the first. So I always make sure that um, I'm educated. And I think that's a big thing that we need to get across today is about educating people and for the patient, the individual, to be their own advocate and not to be afraid to speak up, ask questions, change, change doctors. At the end of the day, they are working on your behalf. And you've got to do what you feel is best for you. So actually, I'm I'm really happy that you that you mentioned that the uh, you know the taboo mm. bits because that is something I think especially in the anal cancer, yeah. it's already just just using the word word anal, which is just a location. <laughs> you know, it's nothing more than that already. People laugh. It's like anal or bladder or bowel yeah. or. They sort of they don't know how to react, and actually, it's it's weird. You have the feeling that people immediately take judgments on your lifestyle. Absolutely, it's, it's really it's it's the most bizarre thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you're absolutely right as well. When when you know when my journey started, when I started looking up information. So on breast cancer, there's an awful lot on prostate cancer from 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 men. There's so much, and I think it's an in yeah, in the meantime, this is something that you can in public speak about. It's not that difficult. Um or people know it. Yeah, and I think it's always the fear as well of the unknown. I wrote an article and I, I just wished and the article was called If Only All Cancers Were Treated Equally because I really don't feel that they are. Well, okay. Yeah. I don't know what That's... your view is on that. Absolutely. So I even have a comment. So if you would ask my daughter today, 
one of the comments that she found very disturbing while being sitting with me at the doctor's. There was one comment made by a doctor saying, "Well, if I would choose, if I could choose a type of cancer I have, it wouldn't be yours." And that is a comment from 2023. Well, can I tell you, I got this comment in 2017. You've got the best type of cancer to have. <laughs> I mean, how did they work that one out? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, wow. I got a good one. No, I've not. <laughs> no. When my journey started, I felt very alone. Um, it started back in September of 2017, seven years ago. Um, that's when I found out I had cancer. However, my journey started two years before that, uh, when I started to get recurrent um, bladder infections. So antibiotics were issued. I'd been seeing my urologist then for nearly two years. My symptoms had worsened, the fatigue. I'd lost three stone in weight, um, was really poorly, no appetite. Uh, and luckily, the job that I have, my profession, provided me with private medical insurance. So I decided that I'd take a second opinion. Well, within three weeks of taking a second opinion, I was diagnosed with bladder cancer. I was not upset in the slightest. I wasn't frightened. I wasn't angry. I was absolutely relieved because I felt so darn rotten and so ill that I finally had an answer to why I was feeling this way. Because I was beginning to think, is this how you feel as you get older, as you go through the menopause? Do you lose your, you know, your get up and go? Um, and I thought, is this me? You know, is this going to be my life forever? But, you know, I, I hate to think how things would have turned out if I hadn't have taken that second opinion. So... From the very, very start, I would say to people, if you don't feel that you are getting the results that you're expecting, challenge, question, change doctors if necessary. You know your own body best. And I knew by, that by having my bladder removed and having a urinary diversion, which is a stoma in the stomach, which is made from the small bowel, um, which sticks out a little bit, put a bag over it and your urine is collected on a bag attached to your stomach. So I was looking forward. I couldn't wait. I just wanted it gone. I just wanted to start getting better. Get rid of it. <laughs> get rid of the little blighter. And uh, I just wanted to get on with life again. You know, I'd spent, I was 53 and I'd been ill for two years. Um, and I was fed up of being ill. So I went for the surgery, 11 and a half hours, um, cut from just above the navel, navel to the bottom of the pubic bone. Um, if you've not had a hysterectomy, for a woman, if you've not had a hysterectomy already, you'll have to have a full hysterectomy. So you're not only dealing with having a urinary diversion, you're also dealing with the menopause at the same time, which for women can be a little difficult. Um, Appendix were removed, lymph nodes, small bowel, ileum. There's quite, basically, I think whatever they can take out without causing any bother is, is pretty much removed. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm lucky I didn't, um, 
get a stoma back. Mm-hmm. But I, in the well, the first at what the doctor who told me I would ha- um, I have a stage three cancer, who wanted to proceed fairly fast. He actually said, okay, the first thing we have to do is get you a stoma, which is the the same just for the mm. at the other end now as a bag. Yes. Um, so I remember the stoma nurse kind of like saying, okay, so no matter if you go for a second opinion or not, but let's, let's try it. You know, where would, where would be placed? So there was a little bit a, I was on, honestly, I mean, I was completely overwhelmed, no, at that point, but he was, it was kind of like measuring, okay, where would you have your pants usually to where would yeah. they go? And then they would kind of like draw this little dot, I, yes. um, it's the same, yeah. Is there, is there, and that's just out of interest. Um, is there kind of like a a say that you can have and have this exit at a lot higher, a little lower, or at a different place, a different, so that it accommodates better certain things that you wear? Or yeah, I I think what happens was um, I had to sit in my underwear, my bra and knickers on a chair, just sat normally. And look at where the natural folds of your stomach sort of hang out. Um, so the, the, that's because you don't want it in a dip. You want it on a firm piece of stomach, really, so that you can create a flat surface so that the bag will... If the back ends it. Yeah. Okay. So although, you know, they will make a mark of where they would like to put it, in reality, it might not actually, it may differ by a couple of millimeters, a centimeter. It depends on your surgeon and how he has to deal with things. So a mark is made for a preferred spot. Most of the time it happens there or thereabout, but be prepared that it could move more than you thought, depending on what the surgeon finds. So I think with the, with the bag, so at least for me, when when I was told I might have a bag, one of my first scary thoughts was like, "But how how will I have a social life? Will I dare to have a social life?" Did you have that too? Yeah, it's scary. You're going out, and you're you are reliant on a a plaster and a plastic bag. That's basically what it is, stuck to your stomach to hold your pee long enough for you to find a toilet whilst you're out to empty it. So whenever I go somewhere, the first thing I look for is toilets. Um, So when I go in, I've got to empty. When I come out, I've got to empty. It's always there on your mind. It's a completely different way of life. However, you know, if you're on holiday, you can go and pee behind a bush with the blokes, you know, and stand up and... (laughs) See how high you can get it up the wall. <laughs> have a little fun as well. <laughs> okay, so you have some temporal advantages there. No. Yeah. <laughs> no dirty toilets to sit on. <laughs> um, then you got rid of the cancer, which is great. Yeah. No. Yes, um, but then after the surgery, so as you were actually clear before the surgery, this is what you want to do because to just get rid of it. Was it then after actually, was there anything where you had kind of like struggle Absolutely. to deal with? Absolutely. I'd recovered from surgery. 
I'd got my changing of bag routine into a habit. I wasn't experiencing as many leaks. And things were on the up. And then I realised I had thrush, so I needed to get some canister and some cream, some pessary, something to get rid of this thrush. So I spoke to my doctor and she uh, prescribed some pessaries. So thinking no, no more about it, had a shower, lay on the bed, went to insert the pessary. Didn't go in. I couldn't push it in. There was something stopping it going in. Okay. And I was terrified. I thought, have I got another tumour? What's going on? Oh. Um, so obviously I had to sort of examine myself and don't be afraid. You have to examine yourself sometimes. And um, I would say the depth of my vagina was probably around, well, it was measured afterwards and it's three centimetres. So as far as penetrative sex was to go, it's probably going to be pretty much impossible. Mm. And I had absolutely no idea. The day that I couldn't insert that pessary, I was terrified. And, um, you know, it took me a week to see the doctor to find out what was what. And I felt totally and utterly unprepared. Now, for men, they have um, a process that they go through where, and it doesn't matter the age of the man, whether you're 20 or you're 80, um, they will talk about re removing the prostate if they're having mm. the bladder removed. And the prostate, removal of the prostate would inhibit them from getting erections. But then it's spoken about, we can give you tablets, we can give you injections, we can give you pumps. Great, wonderful. Nothing at all mentioned to a woman. I had to write an article on this and burn my soul to the world. And the number of women that contacted me was fearfully sad, who were all in exactly the same position. I was also working with a bladder cancer char charity in the UK, Colostomy UK, and they have very close ties with guys in St. Thomas's Hospital, which is the main teaching hospital <laughs> in the UK, and are pretty much responsible for keeping up to date sort of the leaflets that you're given in the hospital, the information that you you're given so that everybody is given the same info. They speak to your doctor, then you go away with your leaflet and you expect everything that you need to know to be in this leaflet. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. is. Or it wasn't. It is now. It wasn't. It is now. Um, I met another lady, 10 years younger than me. She'd been married. She was 42. She'd been married 12 months, got diagnosed with bladder cancer, stage four, had no idea again, about the anterior wall of the vagina. And she was exactly the same. And it's almost like not telling a girl about periods and it suddenly happens, they're terrified. You know, if you can warn them what's going to happen and what to expect, it's easier to deal with. So for me, that was the most unexpected part of the procedure. I think it's important to have all those bits and pieces in place to take a decision that one can live with after. What I also found out after was that uh, you, I could have had basically uh, plastic surgery to uh, rebuild me a vagina. Okay. I didn't know about that until afterwards. However, 
that doesn't come under our National Health Service like a breast reconstruction. I'd have to pay for it. Now, at that time, I would have been able to pay for that, but I was never given the option. I was never given the chance. And I feel really, really hard done to about that because that is one thing that I would have changed. And I think that's yes. one thing that women need to be aware of. There is, it's a, it's a cosmetic basically procedure. Um, but I think you should know about it and you should be able to make that choice for you. You know, I was never given that choice. In my situation, so I didn't, I don't have a bag. Yeah, so for, for me, it was chemo radiation, uh, 33 rounds, but still uh, radiation to the pelvic area is cruel. Mm -hmm. um, so um, as well, menopause started, which was quite a thing. <laughs> um, to other health issues as well. Yeah, and it kind of like it, it really pushed me. I, I didn't... I didn't expect it like that, but it really pushed me over a cliff. So um, in a way, so for example, with the night sweats, I mean, I have been sweating. I had a pool in my in my bed. It yeah. was really like starting swimming there, no? Uh, whereas yes. all my life I go to the sauna and people laugh at me saying like, hmm, there you sit in the sauna, Leila, and you don't sweat a little bit. So it's very unusual for me. And then from this to the other extreme. Um, but... I mean, so when it comes to to impact on on the vagina, so if you had radiation, and that's the same if you would have if one would have cancer of the uterus, yeah, um, it's it's very it's a very similar uh, mm -hmm. procedure they go through, but then um, I mean the the vagina can shorten, mm -hmm. um, it can narrow narrow down, and. I had one of those leaflets, so it was it was stating that. But what I tried then was, I said, like, okay, is there anything that I can do to prevent this from happening? No. I'm like, okay, so how likely is this to happen? And very likely. I'm like, okay, but there must be something that I can do. No, and we're going to deal with stuff when it occurs. So actually, they didn't even... You know, so there was nothing given that you could start with. And actually, by my own research as well, there is many things in the meantime that can be done afterwards, like laser treatments or um, like um, it's called PR PRP, I think, where, where plasma, blood plasma is created um, and, and injected back into into the vagina area in order to make the kind of uh, mucosa cells to grow again. Yeah. at least to a certain to a certain degree in, in the laser for flexibility yeah so that it can expand again but nobody so this is private paid as well mm -hmm. and actually when I I remember I asked the doctor is there anything I can do after and literally she said she said there is nothing and between nothing and something I mean even if it's just a well, laser treatment that's a big big difference yeah, and it is. Yeah. I also asked, is there anything that I can do to aid my recovery? And in risk, retrospect, here in the UK, uh, if women are wanting to continue with a, a sex life, if they've got issues with either the length or the diameter of the vagina, because either can be affected or both by the surgery, 
is um, the, the little eggs that you, uh, you insert and you insert one size, then the next size. And basically, uh, there's the, the, like a, a little vibrator, dildo, whatever you want yeah, to call it. At the end of the treatment, so the last day of radiation, I said, okay, so where are those dilators? And I mean, that's I don't, you can't use them then because radiation makes skin swell up. You, yes. like you have burn wounds. But what I found kind of with what I had really an issue in a way was she said like yeah but as as you are now in the shape you're in now you can't use those right now I'm like okay still I want to have them yes because I want to use them when I feel comfortable using them mm-hmm. yeah but I can give them to you in six weeks which made no sense to me because if you're looking at for example in at surgeries if you you want to have a sex change and a vagina is artificially created the dilation starts as soon as possible. Exactly. As soon as you so, feel comfortable. Yeah. And so for me, for example, one week after I ended the radiation treatment, I started with a dilation. Mm-hmm. It was very early. Yes. But I, I felt a very close friend of mine who also is a great advocate for the bladder cancer community. She's she's stage four. She's terminal. Uh, and she's been, she was given um a diagnosis of two years and five years later, she's still here. But when she mentioned the issues around the vagina, she was more or less told, well, you're still here. You should be grateful for that. Oh, it's about the quality of life that you want to have whilst you are here, you know. Uh, so it's like women can be shunned that way. Don't Don't allow someone to shun you. And that's as well a good point. So basically, I'm as well. I had um, I was diagnosed with a stage four in the end. So basically, mm-hmm. I had the well. It took me as well three months to get to a diagnosis. But then I was diagnosed with a stage three. Went for a second opinion, <laughs> and came with a stage and was told I have a stage four with a metastasis or with a yeah with a metastasis in the liver. But then. I think important is it. It's just a number. So, like for example, if you know, if somebody would say ninety percent chance you're gonna die, and you're in the ten percent, woohoo! But mm-hmm. if you're told ninety percent chance you're gonna live, but you're in the ten percent, it's crap. Yes. As long as you cannot say I'd be on this or on that side, it's just a number. I remember my consultant saying to me. You know, we, we believe we've got all of the cancer. However, we have to tell you that you have a 50-50 chance of surviving five years. And you're sort of left with that. So, okay, which 50% are you going to be in? I know which one I want to be in. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so I'm determined I'm going to be in that survival 50%. What can I do to help myself? What can I do to help with the quality of my life? And that includes sexual relationships and every other relationship. But the thing is, if you haven't done your research about your condition, you don't know what questions to ask. So I'm sort of asking, how long will I be in hospital? Uh, How long will recovery take? How long will my stitches be in for? You know, nothing really about how I'm going to live with this bag attached to my body and what my body is able to do and not do. I, I didn't ask the right questions because I did not know what questions to ask. And like you say, you know, 
I sat there with my pen and paper thinking that I was being very informed and writing things down, um, but I wasn't, hence why I'm here talking to you today. But I think that is really important, you, you know, to have exactly that and have the time because these questions, I think, even if you if you want to do research, you will not do this overnight where you're completely freaked out. So you just heard, this is what you got, and two days later you are you fully researched and um, and have the questions ready. Absolutely not. So for me, it was kind of I I think I had parts of the right questions. However, I didn't feel taken seriously. So that that was my point a little bit. So I asked about dilation, for example. I asked about okay, what kind of like uh, you know the machine with that is doing the radiation or is, is actually yeah providing the radiation. So there's different kind of machines. And to th so that they have the newest one because it can be, at, even though it's still, it does big damage, but it, at least it's kind of targeted. So I had, I think, quite good questions. However, I put them together like as in a storm. I spent my nights completely doing that, researching. And what I as well find quite disturbing is when it comes for women, it is usually, usually the, because I mean, after the radiation, so, so um, while the uh, menopause starts, then you have a dryness, obviously, um, of the vagina. But then it sounds like, here's a cream so you can moisturize. Mm -hmm. It's just a question of moisturizing. And that's yeah. not the case. It's just like the degener degeneration of an organ all the time. Mm -hmm. No, it's not, it's not moisturizing. Because for us, it is never discussed the quality of the sexual life. It's just the functional sexual life. Yes. But I don't think I, that was even discussed with me. It was a interior wall of your vagina, which I'd never heard of, just compliantly nodded yes, and, uh, and that was it. But it was a real add-on at the end, and that's been the biggest uh, impact on my life, I'd say, really. Obviously, the bag, I mean, um, but I've got around that I sort of change what I do and as to say you live with it but uh, yeah I, I, I certainly was lacking information in the anal on the anal cancer side so going through the radiation actually that is as well something that I was not aware of no um, so that makes you incontinent for a while um, not all the time but at times now, if you have to go, I mean, and it makes you well. I had no, I had no issue with a pee really, unless uh, well, only that it was like incredibly painful to pee during the time. But um, actually, yeah, with the poop, you're incontinent. Yeah. So I have been lucky. So that happened only here at home, um, but that was. So actually, nobody told me that this will happen. But as well, nobody told me that it will just most probably go away. So if somebody is listening, you know, somebody listening for um, that has or is going through this. So for me, it went away completely, um, which is good. So I, I can go out again, socialize. But for a while, I didn't dare. It was really, okay, where do I need to go? Um, so for example, from here to the hospital. Then I was here for one that I eat here. Yeah. 
you know, I was always scared of, I'd had leaks at home, like you say, day and night when I was asleep. Um, and I sort of learned how to deal with that so that the bags weren't leaking, bursting, whatever you want to call it. But then you had to start going out and it was scary. And I remember writing an article about the first time I went out and a friend of mine took me for lunch. Uh, my stormer has a name. She's called Winnie. Winnie Wheelot. She's called <laughs> Okay. Because <laughs> if something happens, I'm not responsible. It's Winnie Wheelot who's off again. Exactly. It's her. It's <laughs> naughty her. <laughs> and uh, do you know what? I probably say that's one of the best things I did naming my stoma because, like you say, stoma, bladder, urine, pee, whatever, they're not poo, anus, they're not words that even close friends seem to be comfortable using. So I called her Winnie Wee a lot. And, uh, you know, I remember getting in the car with my friend and she just patted where my bag is and she said, so how's Winnie? And I say, she's not even today. She's being very good today, you know. And uh, it made other people ease, easier for them to speak about. It made us a bit lighter. And I have had the occasion where, unfortunately, I've had a leak. Uh, my bag burst um, <laughs> going to the toilet on an aeroplane. So in the galley, um, it just went pop and all through my clothes, all over the floor. And it was terribly embarrassing. But did you need to explain then or did you just... Yes, I did explain. Okay. Um, I think that's what you... I think that's what you've got to learn to do, to be willing to explain to others. If you would think back the like the one or two things where you would say, okay, if you time travel back to when you heard your diagnosis, what would it be that you would pay attention to it yeah i think one of the things that you said don't feel rushed into making a decision you, you know you're told you've got a high-grade cancer it's like you've got this high-grade cancer you've got to sort it out now well let's face it you know you've probably had it there a little while another week's probably not going to realistically make a lot of difference mm -hmm. but uh emotionally I think it could make a lot of difference. So, so for me, I think it would be exactly like you said. I'd need to take some time out to step back. And in that time, I would like to be fully equipped with what, how the surgery is performed, what exactly is entailed, but how will it affect me in the future? Everybody talks about you'll have a bag, but... What other is there any other ways that having this surgery will affect me in the future? If they mention removing anterior vaginal wall, speak to them about it. Um, tell them that you still have a, a, an active sex life because apparently they can uh, make slight adjustments to surgeons themselves. If they think you're not bothered and you're over the hill, they'll probably think, oh, she doesn't need a vagina anymore. But but, you know, who's to say who needs one and who doesn't? I would like to be in charge of that decision. Thank you very much. And I think one thing that really frustrates me with this is that anal cancer is some something that can be easily spotted. So basically, 
if you have, let's say, breast cancer, mm -hmm. no? If you want to remove it, you need to, most of the time it's a surgery, no? So now with, with colon cancer, with anal cancer, that can be found if it's tiny, it can be removed without even making really a cut outside into the body. It would and have been the same for me with the bladder cancer, if that had yeah, picked up. Yes, so but we feel ashamed to go and have a, um, yeah, have an examination done, no? Yeah. And that is so silly because it's, I think, one of the, the ways on how this can be found early and treated right away. Yeah, definitely. Early diagnosis is always key. And it's, you know, it's like we said again at the beginning, you know your own body. If things are not right, you don't feel you're getting the answers, just don't give in. Keep going, find someone else, different doctor, whatever it takes. Exactly. And stay on stay on investigating. Absolutely. Make sure you've got all the information to hand. <laughs> it really it's it it resonates totally with me because having this this time, you know, having understanding, okay, how much time do I have to get mm. myself a bit grounded to think about things. And to your point, when even if if we wouldn't have balls to ask certain questions, but to find somebody who has the balls mm. who can ask these questions for us, I think that as well would help. But for that, you need time. You need to find out, okay, what is it that I need? Mm. So for me, Exactly the same. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shirley, for this open conversation. I think it's, uh, yeah, so it's very, very private bits and pieces of information shared now, but thank you for that. Yeah, and thank you too. And thanks for the audience. Thank you for listening. <laughs>